Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center Podcast feed, and this particular episode is a deep dive. We're going to deep dive into the book from a certain point of view, colon, The Empire Strikes Back. I am Joseph Scripshaw. I'm Ken Knapsack, here to go inside one of my favorite movies, beat by, at times, literal beat. <laughs> there are a lot of uh, big beats and a lot of small beats. That's kind of the uh, point of a book like this. Uh, if for some reason people are listening and are not familiar with the book, uh, this is uh, a, a sequel to a similar book, uh, the, a similar format that was released for A New Hope on its 40th anniversary. This is to celebrate The Empire Strikes Back's 40th anniversary. So it's 40 stories, uh, short stories, differing length, but all short stories, 
uh, going generally chronologically through the movie and diving deeper into specific beats, creating new beats uh, that were maybe around the corner or around the asteroid from a known beat, uh, and uh, in really trying to, I think, accomplish the goal of the title itself of different points of view, new points of view on a story we know really, really well. Uh, This episode, we're discussing the first 20 stories, and next week, we'll discuss the second 20 stories. So, Ken, uh, 20 stories in, what's your overall reaction to this book? Um, first of all, that when you, I'm glad we broke it up, it made the week of reading a little uh, easier. But uh, just to hear you say that, it is it's daunting. What it shouldn't it shouldn't be, shouldn't be. We we talked about it on the main show this week. Star Wars publishing can occasionally be daunting, but I I think that's where my journey with this book starts. I picked it up. I was like, all right, I'm excited. There's a lot here. Let's do it. And I am so far really happy with the stories. I loved the first book, so there's no surprise. Now, the first book you and I have talked a lot about has some stories that you and I are like, great. Other ones were like, yeah, you know, it happened. Uh, <laughs> and and we don't we love it. And they all were well, well written. So cool. We're, we're there for them. Uh, this one has some of that. But I, I've been moved. I have um, just had a lot of fun with what they put out there. Uh, and even some of the stories that are, aren't uh, hitting me. As much, I'm like nodding, going, yeah, great job. You, you, you put something good out there. So that's a very general, vague uh, overall reaction, but I'm having fun and diving in. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I share some of those reactions. I think just uh, out of being busy, the like, oh, man, I really I really want nothing but a, you know, a day and a half off to be, think about nothing but reading this book. So that, it, that uh, not having that can be uh, daunting. Uh, mm-hmm. I did really like the first book. I thought it was fascinating. There are a couple stories where it's like, yeah, no, uh, that's that's not for me. That's not going in my head canon. I'm not gonna, you know, imagine yeah. that Imperial is thinking that uh, every time I watch A New Hope. And other things that are like absolutely vital to me, and I love and mm-hmm. and talk about and think about all the time, and have informed how I watch other movies. So uh, that mm-hmm. book was good overall and then had some stuff that's like yeah it's not for me and then other stuff that's like elevated to this like uh, very high level so i think mm-hmm. starting this one i was like what is the experience gonna be uh is it gonna be as much of a a roller coaster for my personal taste so i, I like books like these because it, it's a chance to practice uh being open to new ideas and mm-hmm. choosing what works for you and just walking away from what doesn't i think you and I talk about the, you know, the Star Wars buffet of there's lots of different uh, dishes in Star Wars and you can choose the ones you like and leave the ones uh, you don't aside. And we don't always have to compare and contrast which one is, you know, uh, quote unquote, uh, better. Uh, and this is a, a book like this is just a great <laughs> opportunity to practice a little bit of Star Wars buffet philosophy. Uh, and that said, halfway through the book, uh, there are only a couple that are like, ah, I struggle with that a little bit. Maybe it's not for me for one reason or the other uh, in stuff that I was surprised, really surprised at how much uh, I liked stuff that mm-hmm. started like the first page, like, oh, this is a perspective we're going with. I'm not sure if I need that. And then, wow, this is amazing. This is great. So uh, mm-hmm. overall, really enjoying it. I think uh, the other thing that I have to say in the overall reaction, and I think we'll probably get into this on the details, is... Uh, since it go- does go through chronologically, the first half of the book, there's a lot of perspectives on Hoth. There's a lot of perspectives on being a you know lower level or rebel or imperial, uh, sometimes mm-hmm. some higher level imperials. And I think the early stories, there are times where they benefit and times where they suffer from building on one another. Um, 
there's some little threads that come through or like a, a certain event is talked about by three different people and you see it from three different perspectives and it really builds that like we're hearing the perspective of these rebels but they all have different perspectives but they're all mm -hmm. seeing the same thing is really great and other times where there's just some repetition and i think in, in a book like this sometimes the repetition is hard yeah yeah the, uh the first book, I remember we were, we were, we were on Tatooine a while, right? Like, Oh, another cantina story. Well, of course there's just going to be so many stories in the cantina. So there's times I don't need this. I don't need this book to go, uh, you know, minute by minute. Like I can jump back at time, but like, I don't know. I just, um, I, sometimes I wanted just to move forward. <laughs> if that made sense. <laughs> um, and, uh, and as far as like I'm trying to think there's some specific stuff we'll get into of just, yeah. What, what they saw over and over again. And, and then, uh, yeah, some of it, uh, it was interesting to hear the different perspectives. And some of it, I was like, that's kind of unfair to think about, about Han Solo. <laughs> There's some harsh views on Han. There's a, some harsh Han views. Yeah, I get it. I get right. it. Yeah, okay. Han, I guess Han didn't make a lot of friends at Echo Base is what we are mm -hmm. learning. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, learning many interesting things. Uh, for you, Ken, uh, what makes you like certain stories? What makes you say, "Ooh, yes, I'll, I'll I would like to remain dining on this dish uh, at the Star Wars buffet." I think what it is is this idea of taking taking this movie, taking these beats, taking these characters, and it's fun, and it's almost like a, a an in joke with Star Wars, right? Like, oh, uh, even Gonk Droid has a movie about him, right? But no, right. we Star Wars fans do love that. I think because of the Kenner figures and all the little details we celebrate as fans, we love that. So when this book takes a moment and builds back to it and gives you a real strong point of view that that enlightens and and that that can be... It's hard, you know, it's, I always say like it feels like Star Wars is a weird, you know, that can change from story to story for you. You know, like that feels like Star Wars. That doesn't. It's the same thing. I don't know. It's the mood I'm in that day. <laughs> um, there's one particular one here, which is like, God, that I will never not separate that from the movie because uh, it, it's it, I'll say it's the one around Yoda. Um, the the other ones, it's like so. So anyways, I don't want to get to what doesn't doesn't work. What what when it works, it's just like that just flows so nice into a moment and makes the moment in the film that much more powerful or changes my perspective on it. And I really feel it. And again, that could be that, that, that again, that's personal experience there. You, you, you might want to know what the Wampa felt. I, I don't. So I have a different <laughs> relationship to it, but I'm open to it. And it's a well-written story. So anyways, uh, that's, that's what it is. Every time I even, even going back to the other one, the, the eclipse one, I always talk about the eclipse essay uh, uh, by Madeline Rue, like, just like, I can never not, picture that like you, you said it earlier as well it's like it just becomes part of the story um and 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 it's it's mythical it's, it's magical I, I i that that's just what it is uh unfortunately for the writers you got to hit this mythical bar that doesn't you that exists but you can't describe it yeah and when i flip when i get to the end of it and go ah i feel like that moment now has more weight to me or, or a different kind of perspective that's when it really works yeah, yeah. No, I think you're saying a lot of great things. I think uh, there is a power when, it, you know, and it's totally subjective, and I think really different for different people, which character uh, perspective, you know, makes a big difference to them. But it's so rewarding when it in takes something that you already like on screen and just makes it richer. And you can take that mm -hmm. with you and go like, oh, wow, yeah, that's what this character is thinking. And that makes perfect sense. Um so I think that's the thing that I was really responding to is I'm really liking stories where it is the tip of the iceberg of it's 
it's this character in this moment. And this scene is five seconds long sometimes, but it's really that the rest of the iceberg <laughs> matches the tip uh, uh, from, from my imagination yeah. where it's like, um, we hadn't out spoilers for which episodes we or which stories we liked. Um, like the Piet one is like, yes, that is exactly the kind of stuff that I always imagined Piet would talk about. So there, for me, there's some just uh, subjective. I like the stories when they align with the character or the moment the way I've always imagined them. Um, because yeah. I think that's the challenge of a book like this of, you know, we've all spent a long time ma- imagining a, a film like Empire Strikes Back. So uh, you know, some of the stories are going to align with the way we imagined and others not so much. Um, yeah. I think another big thing for me of when I enjoy a, a story is because in a book like this, you're reading one new idea after another. And sometimes they kind of glide together and other times they're a total like I was utterly, uh, you know, ensconced in this world and it was great. And then it ends. And then there's a challenge of now I'm starting a whole new world. And I've st- started 15 new worlds in the last, you know, two hours that the stories are really effective for me when they grab you right away and they move fast. Um, and I think I, I gravitate towards some of the ones that, that are, you know, a little bit uh, punchier. Um, yeah. There's also some ones that I think really live up to the title of certain point of view that really do have a, a totally different point of view. Or some of the ones I really liked are not literally attached to the film. They're just like events that it, it's not oh, hey, that, that person in the corner that we've always joked about, it's somebody that we've never seen on screen, but they would be there. Um, and those were powerful too. Yeah, and then some of them stand on their, their, their own little stories. They are those behind the, the little characters that were like, oh, the guy, you know, we're going to get to, uh, you know, a good kiss. I, I love that one. And, and it's just kind of its own little thing and, and it works well in that way. And and uh, and it moved me or, you know, it was fun and it was enlightening, but yeah, I don't, it doesn't necessarily plug into the big picture as well, but again, which is all, which is all perspective. It's all perspective. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Believe you me, I was ready for Piet. So <laughs> years, you know. yeah, yeah. We got some, Piet. we got some sweet Veers time. We got a lot going on. Um, I think you kind of already answered this, but did you want to, I'll ask and see if you want to add any more. What makes you struggle with stories that aren't working for you personally? <laughs> eh, um, I, I so, uh, every, every one of these <laughs> authors did a, did a great job. And I, so I never want to come too harsh, but it's like, sometimes I feel there's a, not, t- not too cute, but just like, ah, uh, yeah, I, I'll go back to the Dianoga one in, in the first book is, 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 is a beautiful story. It, it really is well done. I just don't for a second think maybe not even for a second believe that the trash compactor monster was force sensitive and felt something from Luke. And I just don't, I just don't feel, you know, and when, when the story ends, I go, that was great. I, I no, I reject it. <laughs> and that's, that makes me the problem maybe, but, um, and I don't get, that's what I mean. I, I say too cute, but you know what I mean? Just like, eh, eh, we, we dug too deep. We dug too deep. Yeah. And I think this is, um, I think this is where that sort of Star Wars buffet analogy is helpful. I don't think you're criticizing the writer. I think you're saying the point of this is a buffet and I ate uh, some macaroni and cheese. It was perhaps the best macaroni and cheese uh, that anyone could craft. I don't like macaroni and cheese. So of course I didn't personally enjoy this is not a criticism of the writer, you know? And I think uh, there's so this, this invites you to really explore your own tastes in Star Wars because it goes lots of different ways, a book like this. And I think that's that's just a taste you have 
that you you lean towards maybe not wanting to spend a lot of time with all of the creatures being super sentient and you don't want everyone and everything to be force sensitive. So for you, it's just a taste you don't like, right? Yeah, I mean, and I, I do love mac and cheese. Thanks for that thought. Um, yeah, no, no. There's <laughs> I'm hungry some, again. Yeah, there's some of that too. And and again, uh, going into what we're looking for, no, no secret, I love my, you know, Imperial officers and three, what, three years from now, when we do a return of the Jedi one, I want 19 Moff Jar Gerard stories. Like (laughs) that's just me. Um, But yeah, that's a little bit too. Yeah. And I just always, you know, we're sensitive to creators who who put a lot of great effort. So I don't want that. That's kind of why I'm being super cautious, but I I think you're right. Like there's nothing in here that it was like, well, how did this fourth grader get an essay? (laughs) Like all beautiful. Um, It's just, there's some, you turn the page and you go, great. I'll, I'll, I don't need to revisit that one in, when I watch Empire again. Yeah, yeah. And that, and that's, I think, the way I, I'm approaching these books of like, they're a headcanon invitation. And if I like, oh, I like that one, I'll take it. <laughs> and if yeah, I go, and, and I'll, I'll set that one aside. And I'll say this, going now going back to 2017, you know, I don't know if there's an official answer. Like, these are, these are canon-ish kind of books. They're inspirations. I think there's some answers. There's some things, but they're not always... I think back in 2017, I was just every, any word that was put down on page or any word that showed up or any image on a screen, uh, I took as that is it. That's that's the definitive answer. And to find out some of the stuff Forces of Destiny is considered canon-ish, you know, and 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 be able, I, I can live in that world more now than back in 2017. Yeah, I think canon adjacent, you know, is is a handy term. And, and I think it, it's just, it is, it seems to develop right now, honestly, the way myths and stories do. If somebody lays something down in uh, something like Forces of Destiny or in one of these books and other writers and creators like it and pick it up and it starts to appear everywhere, it sort of, it grows in validity, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um that idea that you and I both love that that pops up here again in that first book that Yoda's like, yes, I have been watching Skywalker. I have been dreaming of uh, Skywalker. I mean, Leia is that idea. I feel like has started to pop up other places. So it starts to feel more like that's canon, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Builds on it, adds validity to it. And it should, it just, it shows that it works. He shows that I, that idea works. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I'm, I'm uh, again, I think aligned with you in the things that, uh, that I struggle with. I think um, it, sometimes I struggle when the character is a little different than I imagined, and I'll still enjoy the story, but it is, it's just a taste thing of like, ooh, that's not really how I thought of that character. I'm not sure that's what that character would, would think, and that's, you know, uh, it's fine. It's great that people have different perspectives in a book called <laughs> From a Certain Point of View. Um, mm. I think sometimes the repetition is really successful, and other times it, it undercuts something where, uh, you know, there's stories close to one another that have a little bit of the same hook. Uh, in, in the second story, it's almost at an unfair disadvantage because, like, I saw that hook uh, just a couple moments ago, um, which is, I think, just the nature of this beast. Um, and then I think a, a taste thing for me that that books like this invite is, and maybe you're getting to this with the Diagnoga, there, Star Wars, you know, Star Wars humor is always going to be this interesting battle we talk about it a lot on force center because starting with a new hope there's some kind of big goofy humor george lucas likes you know slapstick he he likes uh kind of big wild thing he likes poking fun at his own creations by naming them things like savage press sometimes you know um so he's got this kind of there's this cheekiness to star wars 
Um, you know, going back to when in Attack the Clones, when it wasn't confirmed yet that the stormtroopers weren't clones, that the, you know, the animators put in Django hitting his head to explain in a jokey way <laughs> why the stormtrooper hit his head. Again, I know that's not canon now because they're not clones, but back in the day, that was their rationale. Uh, so Star Wars and Cheeky kind of do go together. I think sometimes there's a part of, there's a style of Cheeky in the, in the prose where there's so many authors who, who want to have fun explaining something or, or putting like uh, an ironic twist on something that we know. And sometimes that works really well for me. And sometimes it takes me out of the story and I feel like I'm, I'm more aware of the, the cheekiness than I am disappearing into the galaxy. <laughs> aware of the cheekiness, a Star Wars lesson. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm with you on that. Again, again, I use that when I use that your word, uh, the phrase uh, too cute, that, that, that more insulting than maybe uh, intended to be, but just like, all right, I'm there for this, uh, but, but I'm not going to stay stick around. Anyways, um, yeah. Yeah, sometimes there's sure a twist, a surprise on the character that works for you, and sometimes there's not. Yeah. All right. Well, and isn't it so? It could you and I maybe more me, but I don't know. You and you and I love this stuff so much that sometimes when we just we struggle with going, hey, some of this I didn't like. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I try to I try to cushion the blow, and you know, but I great writing all throughout. But yes, yeah, some stories I just didn't like as much as the others. Yeah. Why can't I just say that? You did. You did it. You said it twice in a row, and I, we've both said it in elaborate ways. So uh, yeah. let's get into uh, these stories that. Almost all of them, I think, you know, we like. Uh, so let's go into Eyes of the Empire by Kirsten White. This is the uh, the first story. Uh, brief uh, overview. It is uh, the story of a, um, a person whose mother was in charge of making the probe droids and a person who is in charge of uh, sending them out and monitoring them. So it's really the human perspective behind those many, many eyes of the probe droids. Where did you land with this one, Ken? Hated this one. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, no, uh, Kirsten, Wright, uh, Kirsten White wrote this, and I was so glad. So when this popped up, and you you see the little artwork, and you're like, oh, here we go. We got a probot story. I was like, man, I hope this isn't a bunch of whirs and beeps and boops because we're inside the probot's head. Uh, and I'm so I because I was that's the mood I was in when I grabbed the book. I was like, all right, are we are we doing this? Do I got a uh, the 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 sonnet of the mouse droid? What do I got here? Uh, and it wasn't, and it, and it, and it was touching. It was, uh, it was this idea of, of, of kind of seeing her mom, seeing the galaxy through the eyes of this probot, uh, from, you know, here the Imperials too. And there's a lot about, um, it's not about credit. It's about the empire and all those kind of things, the inner workings of the, in, in, of the Imperials. Uh, and for something that, you know, we just take for granted, they're just, the Vader's trying to find Luke. Uh, we all have grown up with that. Uh, and all these probots, uh, being shot out through the galaxy to add a human, a human element to that from the Imperial point of view. I, 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 it, it ended up working for me. Yeah. Yeah. I will all agree with you on that one. I really uh, liked it. Uh, I like that just kind of visual idea of uh, seeing all these different places through the eyes of the probe droids. Um, I liked that the spirit of it was, uh, I, I think a great way to start off Empire Strikes Back, a lot of these stories deal with how do uh, the humans that are part of the machine of the Empire feel uh, about being humans in this big machine. And, you know, we as the audience kind of have the benefit of knowing um, Sidious's perspective, knowing Vader's perspective and getting to see this human side is a great way uh, to, kick, to kick it off. And the probe droids like, yeah, these however many uh, thousands of, uh, you know, 
staring cold machines uh, with their scary beep boops <laughs> are yeah. that really great picture of, of mechanized. So they see that human side of it of like, somebody made these, they are a creation of a human. And then this, uh, you know, our, our main perspective character dreaming of exploration, wanting to go places, wanting to see things. And so seeing through the eyes of these probe droids, it's this great humanizing thing of like, there's so many different worlds or so many different places to explore. And through all of these eyes that, that, you know, my mother helped create, I can see them it is really human, really great. And then I think, uh, a great twist on uh, stories that we've been getting a lot of, of when do humans inside the empire break? Uh, when do they mm -hmm. step away from the propaganda and, and see the, the more truth of the empire? So I like that realization of like, for me, these probe droids are about exploration but now that I'm looking at the carnage on Hoth, I realize that they are about death. I thought that worked really well. Yeah, and 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 the choice to kind of uh, explore Hoth after, um, uh, you know, kind of like you said, to see to see the carnage, I thought was great use of um, of the droid of of the probot of what you could see. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it has that end beat where it makes the choice to turn off the probe that has found Luke's X-wing on Dagobah, and. I yeah. think for me, that was like, uh, I think right away starting this book, that was like, it, 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 it worked really well to have a concrete action to show that the person has not just turned in their heart, but the, the main character is willing to defy the empire. I think that works uh, really well. I think it gave me a little bit of a, of like, okay, that's what this book is. <laughs> Here we go. Are too many things going to feel too interconnected for me? uh that yes uh well said on that i i think as a self-contained story that that is a great ending and, and powerful and a powerful choice um i i had I was like oh because you know it wouldn't be the first uh wouldn't be the first uh thought uh of of, a, of droids robots uh kind of visiting yoda right i think we dealt with some of that that was uh, in the first book the first from a certain book. point of view yeah yeah so it wasn't that wasn't a new concept but it was like okay we're actually on data oh and we're seeing oh i get it yeah so yeah, I, I know what you mean. As, as the first single from this album, I was like, oh, this is what we got. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But overall, really, really like the story. Great, yeah. great way to kick it off. Great. Uh, yeah, again, great use of, uh, it, you know, I was expecting to go left and it, it went right. And, and that, that worked for me. Yeah. And some fun, I think, uh, cheeky to me in a good way. Cheeky isn't even the right way. Some fun nods to where else the probes might be going. Uh, the mm -hmm. kind of hinting at other places that may or may not be planets we know. I, I really like that. Right at yeah, the end. fun. Uh, moving on to the second story, uh, Hunger by Mark Ashiro. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one, Ken? So this is, uh, here we go. Now we're getting, we're inside the mind of the Wampa. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. That, that was the, that's the summary. It's the Wampa one. <laughs> it's the Wampa one. And I was, we knew it was coming and here we go. Here's our first challenge is, is, uh, does it turn out that is the Wampa a Jedi and was ready to have a lightsaber fight with Luke? No, not the case, but it was real good. Um, it it it. Um, well, I was going to say humanize the Wampa, but it really did make me feel the Wampa's perspective, which is interesting because I was scared by the Wampa as a kid showing up to 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 whack Luke's uh, Tauntaun. Uh, th that that affected me as a kid. It, it was one of the, I I'm, I scare easily. It's a straight um, up jump scare. I mean, it is absolutely is. So it was uh, to get the other side of that. Um, there's some stuff in here that uh, it. it uh, it, uh, I don't know, kind of paints the rebels a little, you know, it took, took, it took the Wampas home. How dare those rebels? <laughs> and I don't disagree with that because you and I joke, especially like the Mandalorian, where we're like, 
uh, but hey, the Mudhorn just wanted to protect its egg. What are you doing, me? Like, there's a lot of that in Star Wars. Fallen Order. We're like, well, you hacked a bunch of animals to death there. Um, so um, it's not a perspective I uh, dislike in Star Wars to go inside uh, or give you the view. Not say you know the Wampa's point of view. I mean, this does, but um, to make you really look really look at it again. But um, so I liked it. It made me think. I'll I'll just say that. Yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, I think th- we can have a conversation about this story that will uh, cover many other stories because there's a lot of uh, animals or you know non traditionally you know uh, emoting <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, characters uh, you know uh, that we get the perspective from. And you're so right that this is a conversation that I think has always been possible within Star Wars, but has just so emerged uh, in the last honestly year or so for me. Looking at the, the the roots of Star Wars, this is one of those places where there is just great, undeniable tension between the influences that Lucas pulled from. That on one side, Star Wars is this you know fast action uh, Saturday afternoon serial genre thing where a daring warrior is attacked by an exotic space beast, and it the, the heroes must fight their way free. Like great, uh, and then on one hand. Star Wars is built on deep philosophy and the philosophy of Star Wars and the forces. We are all connected and every being, every tree, every uh, insect matters. And those things are naturally in a little bit of conflict with one another. And that's come up, like you said, in Jedi Fallen Order, where like, yeah, the animals attacked us. So we kind of had to defend ourselves. But wow, a lot of animal slaughter. And then I think it's I think it is very much on purpose in Mandalorian. Every episode this season there has been a kind of blatant reminder that creatures eat creatures and what are our moral lines on that like Mm -hmm. it's and you know a lot of people were greatly affected by it i think we had valuable conversations i think we're going to keep having these conversations but uh, this book is going to definitely accelerate that conversation of how we treat uh you know what we're calling animals in star wars yeah which is which is which is valuable which is valuable. I started just uh, flipping through it too. And just uh, as a great ending, I, I say, I love the ending of, of, of no matter what you thought about getting inside the Wampus head of just kind of returning home to uh, echo base, if you will. Um, I, I, I like that. And, and it brought it, brought the story home in a, in a nice, nice way. A, a one-armed Wampa just trying to get back home. Yeah. 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 I went on about the idea of the story, but I did not share my actual thoughts on the story. I love this one. And I loved it in a good surprise way of like, I turned the page like, here we go with the Wampa and had all the stuff that I just talked about on my mind of like, this is going to create all this tension, uh, you know, mm-hmm. have more empathy with the creature, which is right. But also, uh, um, and I ended up loving it. I thought it was incredibly well written. It just had this great energy of forward movement. I thought it was, you know, obviously uh, written in, in prose that we can understand, but it's great at capturing what the Wampa was feeling of just like uh, protect family, hunger, hunt. That's what I am. That's my philosophy. Uh, it had those great uh, details of like uh, always wondered and talked about what is exactly the deal with the uh, pin in Luke's leg into ice. And like, I love the detail mm-hmm. of like breathing his hot breath and melting the ice and then licking Luke's boots. So it sticks to the ice. Like <laughs> that was like these great, great details. And uh, it had this great tragedy where you knew it's coming. Like, yeah, I know you're already having a hard time, uh, Mr. Wampa, but your arm's going. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Wampa. Yeah, no, the uh, the writing is there's a there's an elegant lumbering to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's what it is. I just I yeah. felt it, it was a really great prose job. Of I felt like I was, you know, pounding through the snow on the hunt and feeling the, the glory yeah. and the tragedy with the Wampa. And I really agree with you that that I like the ending. 
that we have the the horror of it losing its arm but then the kind of the uh, the power of it like but i figured out a way to hunt without it and now i'm back home they're gone yeah 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 uh, moving on then to Ion Control by Emily Skretsky. Uh, this is one that I was really looking forward to. This is the story of Torin Far, uh, standby Ion Control Fire, uh, a character that I think a lot of us have gravitated to wondering uh, more about over the years. What was your reaction to this one, Ken? Uh, so this is the one that, uh, following the first two, which were, uh, you, you're good, and all right, we got the Luke Stegobah X-Wing thing, and we're inside the Wampa. Okay, okay. And then this one hit, and then halfway through it, I'm like, yep, okay. I, 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 I'm, I'm, uh, it's game time. I'm ready to go as a Star Wars fan to dig into to these stories. Uh, apologies to the first two stories. What, nothing against them, but I was just like, this is the stuff I want. A character that's a, a fun trivia answer, but now applying a life to that character, to that name, mm-hmm. to that trivia answer, and, and, and a clear perspective and a clear purpose. And now this is one of those stories that, even though the details might not necessarily always work their way into my viewings of Empire, the character will never be forgotten because of this. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. I love this one. I was so excited for it. Um, I think there is, I can't, I think we were talking about it on Force Center. I might. I feel like I was maybe talking to somebody else about it of, uh, I think definitely the trivia answer of who is that, you know, uh, that woman in Rebel Base and just the power and the the control and the precision and the firmness with which she says her very few lines uh, stuck with me. And I feel like this story took that little bit of spirit that I got from the movie and, and it was exactly what I imagined uh, in terms of like the spirit of the character and then all these other great details. You know, I, I love uh, Chandrilla Native. I love that the story is struggling uh, with fear and doubt uh, about how difficult the battle against the Empire is and, you know, why are we fighting this almost impossible fight? Uh, But then I loved how much it also just built up how important her role is and the, like, the training and the precision and the responsibility of targeting and firing the ion control. Like, you know, we see what the ion control does. It's, you know, the ion blast does. It's, It's big and it's cool. But I love how much this story built up of like, she could have mistimed that. She could have missed the shot, you know, mm-hmm. if she hadn't really uh, been trained and precise. And that matched what I saw in the movie, the way she says it, you know? Yeah, I lo- there's uh, the moment of Riken turned his attention operations, declared prepared open shield. And Torn Far thinks the trick was to not think too hard about what that order meant. But of course, every officer in the command center was thinking about it. Just a, a lot of lot of stuff in there like that that um, is... Uh, is a great example. It's just a great example of of going beyond just a joke. Oh, we're going to get that story of that of that character in the background. Sure, whatever. And taking that kind of premise into just really everything you're saying, basing on that one one or two lines. Standby, iron control. How do you build a character from that moment? Yeah, yeah. And I thought it did a great job uh, being true to that moment, but then adding a lot of depth and humanity. Uh, I, we get introduced to something that then pops up in different ways and other stories in this one, which I, you know, when it came up, I thought it was funny. The idea that uh, the command center has a betting pool on whether or not Han is actually going to uh, express his feelings to Leia or ask her out and that he's going to, whether or not Leia is going to shoot him down. And that's, that's just a fun thing because that's being true to that scene. That's what's going on is like, 
these people are trying to do this incredibly important job and Han and Leia are just in there, you know, having their Diane and Sam romantic fights, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, from Cheers, Diane and Sam. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I liked it. I thought it was funny. And then, wow, it was so great that that was the gut punch to bring this story home that, you know, Torn Far was trying to make it desperately to the last transport out. Um, She was overwhelmed uh, by the you know the, the the fear and the horror of this battle and uh, all all we're winning is to, to get another chance to you know fight this huge monstrosity that is the empire and this great beautiful moment that we know she has her her sister Samick mm-hmm. and that Torn is motivated to stay alive to deliver Han and Leia gossip because that's a small human thing that she can understand and that was easier to keep alive in her mind as a motivation than this huge frightening concept of freeing the galaxy from fascism and i just thought that was so brilliant and so human to say yeah i can rationalize that every every little step i take is for this huge goal but that huge goal is so large and so frightening that it's hard to hold on to but i can hold on to telling my sister who would have won the bet you know about han and leia Carried not by faith or love or conviction, but by a scrap of barracks gossip and damn it, that was enough. That's one of my favorite Star Wars sentences of all time. Yeah, you're you're so good with the quotes. You're right there with the quotes from the book. So yeah, I love this one. This is this is a, a home run for me. I love that. Great stuff. Move on then to a good kiss by C. B. Lee. Uh, this is the story of the rebel who walks between Han and Leia. This is definitely one of those like, oh, this is this this could be the cheeky answer of you know what's what's that guy think? What's what's he all about? Uh, you know, this could be a real Wilrow Hood moment, right? Uh, yeah. uh, we we all know who that guy is, but we also know nothing about that guy. So where did you land with this one, Ken? Uh, so this is one that really works. It's definitely connected to the bigger story, and I think I will always think about it. Uh, this character of uh, a Chase Wilsor, um, but uh, it, it stands alone as just this kind of uh, beautiful love story and uh, beautiful romantic comedy, almost within Star Wars, but also ties in well to a story that comes later in the book, Amy Ratcliffe's story of just heroes of the rebellion being anywhere. So, so this is also an inspiration about. Um, you know the old the old adage: uh, uh, do what you do. Uh, I'm, I'm making it up; it's not a bumper sticker. But you know, do what you do best. If you're a ditch digger, be the best ditch digger in the world, right? This is a character that is not going to be the great warrior. Could not, uh, you know, actually gets in trouble get for training. And right, gets a little disappointed and gets assigned to run in coffee. He's a PA for the rebellion, <laughs> and that doesn't just save his life; it helps save others. That's that's a, that's a, a a big important theme. Uh, and 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 I and I, I love that. And once we kind of got to that, I was like, ah, yeah, that that uh, that moved me. Uh, I love that. It's inspirational. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's uh, picking up on a, a good theme. You know, the the sequel trilogy and different interpretations of that led to all these uh, questions about, you know, who who has a right to power, who is assigned power in the Star Wars galaxy. Is it just you know dynastic to a few families, or is Star Wars more telling the story of? everyone has power you you choose how to use it you know maybe you are not the uh the jedi that the force flows powerfully through uh but you still have value everybody has value you have powers and skills that maybe you're not even aware of and this story really dives into that uh conversation and sets it up a a good funny comedy 
of Chase Wilsor, bitter guy who wants to be a fighter, wants to be a pilot, maybe even sentry duty, and just can't get a break, doesn't have the skills, uh, but he, he does know the tunnels really well uh, and, and, and really is committed to the rebellion. So it is a great twist to know to end up at. He helps everybody escape uh, and get and get to the transport because nobody else could have because nobody else had his skill set and his knowledge that was yeah. absolutely the one that mattered in that moment is a nice message. Uh, absolutely. And then on the other side, it's got the nice uh, romantic comedy uh, answer because you know a good kiss. We're 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 basing this around the the Han and Leia moment, but really is about. Uh, Chase, uh, getting the getting the kiss from Jordan. Yeah, I, I wrote down my note. Hot for Jordan, the Tauntaun Keeper. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, and so therefore, you know, it kind of that's why this story really stands up on its own for me, and and uh, as a little short film of a rom com on Hoth. Yeah, yeah, not, yeah. Not so. rom com we all tune in for. It's it's its own. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this one was. Uh, I didn't. I didn't dislike this one at all. This one was so relatable and felt so real world. Like you said, of like mm-hmm. it's easy to track him as like, yeah, he's a PA. He's just running calf to, <laughs> uh, to you know the quote unquote important people. That it was so relatable. Uh, it almost felt didn't feel like uh, alien anymore. So I was happy when the Tauntauns showed up and was like, oh yes, <laughs> I'm still in Star Wars. Yeah, um, yeah you're you're right. It did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It teetered right on the edge of, uh, you know, so relatable as to not be in a galaxy far, far away, which, you know, is not a huge criticism. I really, I, I liked two specific beats in this. Uh, this is our beginning of people not being happy with Han. I love how much he resented Han's handsome face, his charm, and how he could just waltz in and get all these assignments uh, for these daring missions that Chase Wilsor is not allowed to do. Yeah, you know what? Um, I love I love that about that that... that such a Han fan as, as everyone knows we got it but like I I've always been obsessed with the heroes the superstars and and, and other characters in world's view of them there's that great uh, there's a four issue comic run right at the end of Dark Horse's Star Wars run that really that's it's about that it's it's other people's view of Han Leia Chewie and Luke and so I love that because you know I've been there man <laughs> I've been, I got friends that look across I'm like you're so good at everything you're so charming. You're so good looking. And it just, it, what do I offer? And to have uh, Chase have that kind of view and relationship to Han, it just, I don't know. It just, uh, it, 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 I wasn't defensive as a Han fan, but it just, it is something about it. I was drawn to. Yeah. I think, you know, and it'll pop up again. I think there's a power in we, the Star Wars audience know what Kira knows. We know the secret that he is a good guy. And if you yes. don't know that secret, just like handsome guy, doesn't wear any uniform, doesn't follow any regulations, waltz in and out with his totally out-of-regulation ship whenever he wants, does whatever he wants, and is a big hero. Mm-hmm. You know? And then when you talk to him, he's kind of a jerk. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I connect with Han on a lot of ways. Um, <laughs> just grumpy. Not jerk, just grumpy. Just he, grumpy. He, yeah, right. Exactly. From a certain point of view, he's a jerk. If you don't know that he is... <laughs> so tempted to help every person he meets, but he's afraid of that and he's burying that behind the gruffness. If you don't understand that, all you see is a gruff guy is like, what? What do you want? I'm busy. Yeah, it's like, look, man, me, Ken Epps, like, I'll give you the shirt off my back. Just don't bother me about it. Just let me do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and then the last thing I'll say about this uh, story is I really like that he also helps Sunshine the Tauntaun escape because we need to balance out some good things happening with the animals uh, because there's some bad things. Yeah. Yeah. 
Speaking of which. Yeah, I was just going to say. Oh, boy. Next story. She Will Keep Them Warm by Delilah S. Dawson. Uh, This is the story of Tauntauns who do meet, uh, we do know, meet a tragic end. Mura, the mother Tauntaun, and her daughter uh, Ryba. Uh, yeah. So, Ken, uh, what are your thoughts on, uh, the heartbreaking tale, She Will Keep Them Warm? My first thought is Delilah S. Dawson, as, as we know, is a, is a damn great Star Wars writer. I love the stuff we've gotten from her before. She is a powerhouse. She is great. And you turn the page, you see this, and you you just, exactly what you said. Oh, no. (laughs) Now, you know, I've, I love giving credit to Hans Tauntaun. I did a, a Star Wars in memoriam a long time ago and it's on the YouTube channel. Uh, I didn't, we didn't know much about the character yet. So I think I probably uh, referred to it as a male or something like that. I don't know. I can't, I can't, can't quite remember what I wrote. Um, this is way better. Um, and um, God, it hurts, man. It really hurts. <laughs> it really does. Oh, but it starts. She's And then, and then, and so this is a, this is a poem, man. And, and, and my, my in memoriam idea, you know, is that, you know, the little things along the way of, you know, we don't get the, the, the toppling of the empire. If that Tauntaun doesn't keep Luke warm, we don't, we don't, yeah. all the force in the world uh, doesn't do that though. The fort, you could argue the force had something to do with this, you know? So to have this put in story, have it break your heart. Uh, God, it worked. It worked. And I didn't want it to work that good. Yeah, I love this one uh, because it, it, it is just a heartbreaking tragedy. So well written. Um, her, her prose is always great. When I started, I was like, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, she always writes action in a way that really makes you feel the, the literal physical pain. Like literally what is the character going through uh, to accomplish these things? Uh, so applying that to Tauntauns uh, was uh, extremely well done. I love, I think all the details that kept the Tauntauns, you know, relatable. And, and again, similar to the, the Wampa story had that acknowledgement of like, I know they say these words and I, I pick out one or two because they keep saying it. And I, I guess my name is Mura to them. Great. Uh, but that's not really how. Uh, so relatable, uh, but still very alien and very animal-like. And I, I loved all the details of like being able to sense emotions through smell uh, I loved being her, Mura being, you know, pet and comforted and visited by Leia. And, and they had this connection of, the, of Leia's sort of maternal instinct and leadership, her care and her strength that, that Mura had as well. Uh, I loved uh, Mura being challenged by the upstart cow, Kelak. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's all stuff that really made you feel like, yep, yeah, no, they, they are, you know, animals uh they they perceive things very different from us uh but there's so many just like emotions that connect them that that was uh really really well done i like the detail that mura could smell luke and remembered you know uh what he smelled like um and and obviously her her daughter uh riba as well and that a little bit of like without being too on the nose a little bit of like how did uh, Han successfully find Luke when uh, he was told he wasn't going to be able to? Um, yeah. And then that, I, I think the, the, she will keep them warm when you're reading, when you start reading it, you think it's going to be about, you know, keep literally keeping Luke warm. Right. Yeah. And it's that last line is such a great gut punch uh, that Mara is thinking her desire is to, to keep her, her children and her grandchildren, her tonlets 
warm that that's her you know main goal in life that's her goal in this miss- mission and you know without cutting forward without doing any of the work for us just letting star wars fans do the work and realize you will keep them warm but not the mm-hmm. people you're thinking of and not the way you're thinking of is such it's such a great gut punch and such a great use of this book is only being read by by fans who are very well aware of what happens to Mura. Yeah. And just, and, and, and you, like you said, using that, not playing upon it, using it. And I think when I started this, um, started reading this, you know, this, and I, you know, immediately you trust Delilah S. Dawson, but I think even before, like when you, when this book was announced, you're kind of like, but there's a Tauntaun one. Uh, this was, this, this just exceeded the expectations of the connection with the lay, with lay the little things, what you just said, uh, the little answer of like, yeah, Han finds him. And a lot of that has to do with Han, but, and that's no storm. How? And it had something to do with this, like that, that, that it just, that's an example of when these stories really work. Yeah. And, and I've always liked the headcanon that maybe Obi-Wan's spirit does help. Uh, but I like being able to think about it lots of different ways. And I like being able to give that, uh, that importance to the galaxy to, to this wonderful Tauntaun Mura too. Yeah. Yeah. No, it could, it, it just, yeah. Uh, it, it, I just there was a point a page or two into this one. I was just like, I don't know if I uh, am I am I prepared for this one. It's late at night. Am I going to cry myself to sleep? Um, <laughs> it was great. It was touching. Yeah, yeah. All, I think all this stuff too about you know I, the Tauntauns want to be wild and free, and uh, that's not where they're at. But they need to work with it. That that stuff is all extremely powerful too. Oof. Yeah, a lot of power. I, you know what? Here's the last thing I'll say. I think this story was extremely successful in dealing with the complexity of animals in Star Wars. It gave them great respect, uh, but especially by by portraying that era that that Leia treated Mura with great kindness, and there was a bond there. It it treated the relationship as what it is, really complex. Yeah. Excellent. Moving on to the next story: Heroes of the Rebellion by Amy Ratcliffe. Uh, this was the story of uh, Corwy Selgroth. A rebel propagandist who is on Hoth to uh, make hollows to counter imperial terrorist propaganda. Uh, Ken, what was your reaction to this one? Um, this is uh, this is really good. I love the I love the idea of uh, uh, rebels needed a, a social media manager. Uh, it would make sense. <laughs> um, and for for Amy Ratcliffe, who's so you know just in the StarWars.com world and the publishing world, and has done such a good job of uh, broadcasting the Star Wars. Uh, you know, message to the world that would make some sense. Uh, I, I could totally see the connection there. Uh, yeah, this one for me connected a little bit to the Good Kiss one of just the Heroes of the Rebellion, and and we we have grown up with what that means, the big names, uh, and and they are the Heroes of the Rebellion. But it but it is also everyone and the command center and the crew and everyone doing their part. And that one just uh, it's it's real simple and direct, and it, and it worked for me in that regard. It spoke to me on that level. Yeah, I, I agree. I really like this one. I think I, in terms of different perspectives, this is a perspective that I'm just really interested in that idea of, yeah, we need to get the galaxy on our side. And in the empire is like the official communication. Of course, they're calling the attack on the, the Death Star a terrorist attack. Of course, they're doing that. So you, you, of course, you need to get the message out from the this perspective of the rebels. And I love that she wants that. I love her history. Uh, that she was hired by the empire uh, and quickly saw the oppression, and then just that that control of media, which is a part of fascism, of saying uh, we we're going to ask you to spin this, or we're going to tell you to outright just plain old lie. Uh, I like the shout out to uh, Alton Castle, the newscaster from Rebels, um, yep. 
And I just like anything that reminds you, like, that's a part of the machinery of something like the Empire is controlling what is truth, controlling what people get to hear, either horrific spin or outright lie. So I, I like her being fully aware of what she was doing of like, I like that passage where she says, uh, Corey says, I, I'm not going to say anything that, that isn't true, but I'm going to really say what people need to hear. Um, mm-hmm. I like the detail that she captured Jin's quote, rebellions are built on hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that quote from Jin ends up popping up a lot in these stories. And I think for me, it helped a little bit to know that like, not only is it uh, passed down in whispers, it's, this was caught on camera uh, by this character and it is a part of the propaganda of the rebellion. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, sorry. The no, rebellion for built on hope shows up a lot so far in the first uh, chapter. And it's, it's not a bad thing because it's a great quote and, and it's at the center of so many things in Star Wars, but it does, does show up a lot. This is, this was a, an effective use of that one for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I liked the, the story, as you said, the big picture one that she was really hoping to get interviews with Luke Han and Leia. I like mm-hmm. the in galaxy story that they are the heroes that people know uh and that she can't get to them that uh she sees luke running to the ship she gets a little bit of a uh, leia's speech i love that she tries to interview han <laughs> and he's a jerk uh, from her perspective right because she doesn't know the truth she asks him about turning back to the death star and han is not gonna go you know i've struggled with this my whole life i really empathize with orphans i really liked luke i really realized it was the wrong thing to leave him behind. So I decided to face my fear of being close to people. And like, he can't say that. We know that's the truth, but he can't, yeah. he's not going to say that to a random propagandist who, you know, shoves a, a mic in his face. He's going to say that, which I thought was just such great on writing. I saw a fight and I'm pointing my ship at it. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. blunt and evasive. It's, I'm not going to tell you about my feelings, you know? So I oh, thought no. it was a, a picture of Han being a jerk from a certain point of view. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, uh, you know, Chewie gave me some crap for leaving him for his nest. <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah and then the the story being driven home by uh, caught up in the panic and the horror of trying to escape uh is the empire is invading escape echo base and just a random rebel uh the ko lem uh helps her to escape and that's what makes her realize everyone's a hero um yeah i thought i thought that that was really great i felt like maybe the end had a little bit of of um gilding the lily because i, I felt like the the hope theme was really really and the everybody is a hero was really really clear um and and then it was underlined just a little bit at the end yeah no i, I get you there yeah i get you that but yeah. uh good and good use of the you know escape the first transports away all that kind of stuff uh, uh played on something i'm familiar with and and inserted great tension into yeah yeah the, overall a great one for me uh moving on to rogue two by gary witta uh this is fun to have a story called rogue two by one of the writers of rogue one uh mm-hmm. this is a story about zev seneska this is basically just a who is zev <laughs> what yeah. is, what does he feel and what, what goes into rescuing uh han and luke after mura kept them warm um what, what were your actions uh, I was looking forward to this one, man. A uh, great, great author to, to, to write this one. And uh, just kind of some I was boots on the ground, wings in the air type of Star Wars storytelling. Love, love that. Love the rebellion. And I love that it went to a, a, a little, you know, different place than I would thought of just them betting on who's going to survive and the gallows kind of humor, the, 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 we need that to survive and that Leia gets involved and that Leia, um, uh, here's you know here's that and 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 good 
puts a good spin on that when when the pilots are kind of like, uh-oh, Leia just caught us. And she says, you're not betting on Commander Skywalker's life. You're betting on his survival. Every bet you place on that board is a vote of confidence. That'll be a matter of when you find him. If not, it's an expression of hope. And I was like, God, that's, yeah, that's great. And God, Leia's a great leader. <laughs> like, so, <laughs> to, to tell that story and just to kind of go through uh, you know the Flyboys uh, in, in the in the rebellion and and Dak and everyone that one that was one of my favorite ones just in, in terms of that storytelling. Yeah, I think that's great, and I I like that the person who is uh, slow to uh, join in the hope and and that is expressed by that bet is Hobby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it goes with the old what we know about Hobby and uh, two starfighters against a star destroyer. Um, yeah, this I've always liked Zev Seneska. I, I like his uh, I like his smile when he finds them. I, I love that. This was just some great like also just perspective on Hoth. I like that he was really grumpy about the cold. I love that little passage about some pilots are seeing wampas, but you know they don't know they're called wampas and they're not even sure if they're out there. It was really like the wampas as Bigfoot of like some people think they see this. Um, I liked that Zev was old enough to know Jedi tales and kind of wondered you know, with the, the conversations, whether or not Luke is one, but he kind of leads towards, he's just a really good pilot. Um, mm-hmm. I like the picture that, that everybody was a little mixed on Han. He was like, yes. we're all cocky pilots, but damn, he's really cocky. Yeah. No, uh, again, <laughs> again, Han taking some hits in this, but, uh, Hey, he does it to himself. He does it to himself. Uh, no, I like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, and I love the idea that everyone lo- really loves Luke and his kindness and that Luke's mm. taking it, the responsibility of being a leader, but it's also like, hey, I'm just a, a kid from Tatooine. It's fun to have the, you know, one of the writers of Rogue One, you know, talk about how uh, Rogue Squadron, uh, that title is in, in honor of uh, Jin and her mission and the original Rogue One. That was, uh, that was cool. I know that's other places, but that was cool to hear uh, yeah. here. Um, and yeah, that, that last speech, absolutely great. So yeah, overall really, really enjoyed this one. Yeah. And it got, uh, another, another line up on, uh, you know, good morning. It was nice. Nice of you guys to drop by. Zev knew the voice instantly. It was solo. And the wise ass tone could mean only one thing. The commander would like to. Like <laughs> yeah. Job. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, then we'll move on to Kendall by Charles Yu. Uh, this is the story of Ozzel. Ozzel's thoughts as he's being choked. Uh, Ken, what, you were a big, big fan of the uh, Imperials. Here's one of our first deep dives into our, our named Imperials. What did you think? Uh, this, so this, I'll say it, it was good, and it ended up being even better once I got to the end of it. And it's one of the shorter ones in there. Um, and, uh, yeah, Ozzel, Ozzel's, a, Ozzel's a bumbling fool, right? We don't like Ozzel. Vader doesn't like him. Uh, and so it works so well. It's very, I mean, you can feel the tension of being... Uh, choked, I you know, almost to a, to a you know frightening degree. Um, but I love because it starts this. It really interworks this uh, image of a kid of, of of someone in his youth, a boy, uh, and it gets kind of spiritual. And it ends up with a with a kind of uh, you know realizing that uh, Ozzel is remembering himself as as a youth and, and maybe the, the choices uh, the choices that led him to this moment. Uh, regret? I don't know. Definitely no time for redemption. But just to have that, it worked really well. It was it was it was poetic, and it, and I wasn't expecting that. I would have thought that maybe, you know, I don't know. Also, would be stubborn to the very end, and and in a way he was. But just 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 in those moments, going back to to his youth and having it focus and realizing he's thinking about himself and 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 that 
again, the choice to get here. Uh, I, I thought that was a good use of, of awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, 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 I struggled with this one a little bit because it's not how I have always seen Ozil. I've seen mm-hmm. Ozil as the real like career guy and a little bit of the bumbling fool and a little bit of that symbol of, you know, if you always just follow the rules to a T, you know, you will, that, that won't always serve you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think I was challenged in a good way by this because I think it's a great story. I love the story. Uh, but I have to decide, like, yeah, do I want to, in my own headcanon, shift mm-hmm. how I think of, uh, how I see Ozil. Um, uh, I, I, I really like that seeing this, kind of his life flashing before his eyes, but not even recognizing part of it, you know, seeing his mother stew, his fiance whispering to join uh, the rebels, uh, seeing himself as a boy, but not being able to recognize himself, a boy on a mm-hmm. Karita. So really growing up uh, in in what, what is going to become a, an important planet for the Empire. I thought it was a really great... Uh, fresh approach on humanizing a famous imperial Mm. i think i was just a little challenged by is that you know the ozil i always imagined um and this is also this is i think one for me where uh that uh getting taken out of star wars by little things that happens to all of us there's some real contemporary almost american lingo in the beginning of the story Mm. uh like calling vader big guy and i think saying like hollow conference in no way some stuff that felt a little bit contemporary and American. And I think I've just always lived with Ozil in my head is being like very officious, very, you know, harumph British traditional. So mm. thinking of Vader as a as big guy bumped me a little bit. There you go. That, hey, that's fair. No one yeah. likes hollow conferences. That would bump me too. <laughs> no one likes hollow conference, but yeah, but a really well-written, uh, great story. And all, all my concerns are subjective. So move on to our next story, Against All Odds by R.F. Luang. Uh, this is the story of Dak Ralter. Uh, what did you take uh, out of this one, Ken? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I like this one. I was, I was looking forward to it. Uh, it's, um, yeah, it, it, it got me, I guess, in, in, in a way. Um, it, it, captures, <laughs> it captures Dak. I don't know. I, I think uh, Dak is one of those characters you really wanted. Uh, you, you know, you, again, you knew you, you were going to get to it. Uh, and it worked, and, and uh, um, I, I liked the the this kind of this the stuff at the end where it's like he's 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 dead but alive, you know he's there but he's not, and he's he's the the uh, malfunction of fire control has taken him, but um, he gets to kind of have a perspective on what's happening. But it's also sad, it's tragic. Dak is trying to lift his head to move his hands, but he can't, he can't, he can't, and uh, so therefore it's, uh, this 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 uh, piece by. RF Quang is a, is a victim of its own success. <laughs> Sad for me. Yeah, yeah, no, I get that. I get that. Uh, yeah, I, I think I enjoyed it. I was waiting uh, as as you were for the uh, the Dak Ralter story, so I was really happy uh, to ha- have it. Yeah, I'm sorry, I mistyped the name Quang. I apologize for that. RF Quang, thank you for that correction, Ken. Um, yeah, so I, I I think for me, I liked everything that was there, and to me, in the movie the big moment with Dak is that he asks, you know, for that extra moment to, uh, to, to correct the, the fire control systems. And this is to me that little uh, peak that we get to see of Luke being a little bit too much like his father of just wanting to charge into the action and not wait and take down the enemy mm-hmm. and his impatience, uh, gets Dak killed. 
Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of waiting for Dak's perspective on that because I loved everything else. I loved born on a prison planet and his parents were caught helping Jedi. And he was that horror of me. He's a good shot because he was made to shoot other prisoners and super proud to fly with yeah. Luke. Everything they were building up was so great. So then I kept asking myself, how is he going to feel? What's his perspective going to be? Uh, when Luke asks him to hold on a minute. And, and it kind of elides past that moment. And it, it, again, this is a total taste and subjective thing to me. That's that's the key moment in the movie uh, for Dak. And I want to know how he felt about it. Uh, and and I didn't I didn't get to hear. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Fair. Uh, um, yeah, but there's a lot of great stuff. They stuff about Dak leading up to it. And, 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 and again, adds, adds, adds to the tragedy of... This is a life. This is a rebel. This is someone with skills and and snuffed out. So that's what the movie does so well. And this kind of uh, uh, had that feel to it. Uh, funny thing about hope, you only get to, only have to get lucky once. Yeah, yeah. No, and I do like that he is he is able to uh, stay alive long enough to hear the walker fall, and that he dies with hope. That's that's a mm-hmm. nice ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, strangely, that one ends on hope, and then the next story is called Beyond Hope by Michael Morrissey. Uh, Beyond Hope is the story of uh, Eamon Kreff, a rebel soldier in the trench. This is the down, literally in the trench, Hoth battle. Ken, I know you're a big f- uh, fan of the war and the soldiers. How did you feel about this one? Um, yeah, okay. Uh, I got to tell. I'm even looking over right now, and I'm, I'm like, uh, did I read this one? Uh, so that, that that's not in it. So I just was like, I think by this point, I'm in a Hoth snow haze <laughs> you're in a hoth hope snow haze because yeah. all of them have valuable things to say about hope but we've now had like four to five in a row that do hang on yeah. perspectives on hope yeah and so so that is uh, again that is nothing against this essay and it's got a good stuff with trey callum uh who a character i think you and i both love uh joseph portrayed by bob anderson the great yeah. sword. And so uh I, I liked a lot about that uh, I, for someone like me who just who wants a little bit more of the troops on the ground. Uh, uh, unfortunately, this one didn't grab you as much. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I can see that. I, I like this one because I think it definitely had some hope, but I felt like this one had uh, some different perspective on the idea of hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked that his backstory was that his family fought the empire on his home planet of uh, Koshega, uh, but the resistance was crushed. Then the rebels swooped in and recruited people who were like, Hey, you see what the empire is. Do you want to come, uh, uh, fight with us. So he's got that perspective. He is fed a hope line. I believe Jin's hope line in the trench and it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But then as the battle intensifies, I thought it was this great perspective where he finds strength. The main character, Eamon, finds strength that everyone who is there on Hoth chose to be there. And that difference between the Imperials, you know, invaded our planet or took over our planet and we kind of had to fight back because we're here and they're taking us versus I will go to this desolate ice planet and I will choose to make my life all about uh, fighting. I, I thought that was a great uh, switch on some of these ideas of, of hope and heroism in the rebellion. And w- yeah, no, w- well said. And one of the things I did like about this is him and the, the other character, Andrew. I believe so. That's what I said. Um, that they survive. <laughs> That was nice. Yeah. Yep. I was uh, like, oh, yeah, well, we just we just lost Dak. We just lost a ton ton. Uh, we lost Ozzel. Um, and then they uh, they get to the transport. And I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And the first of a reoccurring thread appears here where uh, the the 
survive, even surviving has some great punch uh, because that at at is looking down at him and about to just obliterate him, and, re- and it really feels like it's going to happen. And then a snow speeder triumphantly crashes into the at at or the at at, uh, and and that literal thread of that snow speeder crashing into the at at keeps popping up in a great way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the quote that I pulled from this one is, uh, rebellions may be built on hope, Eamon thought, but they end in a better galaxy. Uh, it really made me feel the, the weight and the horror of the imperial oppression and those walkers just mercilessly marching toward you. So I, I did end up enjoying Beyond Hope. So, and I, and I will read it again, just to give the author. <laughs> I think this is an honesty of, of reading a lot of these uh, stories that like almost, uh, you know, if I had the, uh, the right time, the right space, it'd be like, I will review this 40 days later because I'll read one story a day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and sometimes they, uh, they do, uh, they overlap. Uh, but with that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to discuss the next 10 of the 20 stories we're discussing here today on Force Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, Four Center friends, make sure you're keeping up to date on all the great content from Jennifer Landa. Whether it's YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok, you whippersnappers, Four Center's own Jennifer Landa continues to bring you fun, informative, and insightful laughs and moments. Also, Jennifer brings her experience and perspective as a Star Wars-loving mother to her DIY projects, blogs, and more. So be sure to head on over to JennyLanda.com. That's J-E-N-I-L-A-N-D-A.com for articles like how to make your own Darth Maul sneakers or 10 unique Star Wars baby gift ideas. Follow Jen on Twitter and Instagram at JenniferLanda and on TikTok as JenniferLanda1138. And we are back to finish our discussion of, from a certain point of view, The Empire Strikes Back. We're going to talk the uh, 10 other stories of the first 20. Diving right in. The next story is The Truest Duty by Christy Golden. Uh, this was The Veers Story. Ken, how did you feel about The Veers Story? Christy Golden getting the big one here. Love this. Love it. She's so great. Uh, I really love this one. I, I really loved it because I do love this character. I know a lot of people love this character. Looking forward to it. We get the detail. We get the, are we going to get the, you know, the, the answer hobby crashes into the, the, the Walker, uh, like in the novel, is he dead? Is it, you know, and Veers has kind of lived in this weird canon world. And we, uh, we still live in the weird canon world after this. Uh, he survives, but did he, Ooh, it's a Veers death mystery. And I was on board for it. Yeah, I'm so happy you liked it. I love this one. Uh, again, this will go to my bias of, you know, does the character in the story as we get to dive deeper kind of match the way I imagine the characters? And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, this is the Maximilian Veers that has lived in my mind. I love that he considers himself Vader's dagger, sharp and silent. Uh, and his the secret to life is just don't fail Vader. Like all of that, I think, <laughs> fits with... The, this Imperial is just like, no questions asked, move forward, get it done. Uh, I, and I like the detail in this story that everybody on the executor uh, or executor, I call it the executor, is, is aware that this ship is obsessed with crushing the rebellion and Skywalker, Skywalker in particular for some reason, but Skywalker. Um, I think that's really, really great. There's something about the Vader and Veer's relationship that just had these, that's portrayed in this, it had these great connections to Anakin and the clones, right? Like mm -hmm. Vader's in a very different spot, but this is the way that Veers was like, 
I'm in sync with Vader. I know he has great power. I know he has power over me, but I do what he wants and, and then we're good. And if I do good, then he will respect me and it'll work out great for me. Like it was like the total dark side version of Anakin and Rex is the way I felt it reading this. Uh, I I do like that. Uh, yeah. I've always felt, and this, this is where I think Christy Golden really succeeded. I've always felt that uh, Vader, you know, he, I think he, he, he respects Piet cause he promotes him, but I don't, they, they don't have dinner together. Um, but there's just some kind of connection with Veers that he, that he would not be afraid. He probably, I don't know. He'd probably criticize also to everyone. He kills him in front of everyone, but with Veers, he's kind of like, no, don't, he's clumsy and stupid. We know this. Come on, Maximilian. You and I have had calf before. <laughs> like, you know, I've always just kind of had this fun view of their relationship. And this book kind of, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know, fulfilled that kind of headcanon wish, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I love the the surprise that, yep, we're going here with the, the Adat story of he's got all that pride and then wham, uh, gets hit. Uh, and then it's like that great moment of like, is okay, are we wrapping up? Is this it? Did he die? Uh, I like that coming around to the title that the truest duty is to survive, to continue to serve Vader. Um, mm. And I love that we get to see him in this moment of, you know, uh, pain and confusion about what even happened to his body. And he tries to survive it by relating to Vader and mm. knowing that Vader must have gone through some sort of uh, pain and, you know, been rebroken, been broken to be remade and kind of seeing pain as transformation and even relates his ragged breathing to Vader's breathing and suddenly veers his, connection to Vader is really strengthened. And then, yeah, like you're saying, I was, I was uh, so curious to see if you interpreted it the same way as I did that idea of like, I just need to hold on till the medics arrive, then I can let go. And is it let go because the medics will then save you or is he lying to himself and he, he dies as mm -hmm. they get there. I'm, and I'm, I'm so, yeah, yeah, glad we don't know. Gosh, and, and we're describing, yeah, the, the line of, uh, you know, uh, he stopped resisting the pain and welcomed it instead as Vader would, as Vader must have once, and how his mind flashed to the glimpses of the man inside the helm. What a, just a wonderful use of what's there in the film for you to use. Veer sees the man behind the mask. Uh, and, and to take that and, 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 and roll it into his story, his point of view. Ah, man, I love that. Applaud you, Christy Golden. Yeah. And uh, now we get to we get to wonder even more, Joseph, about the fate of Veers. That is right. Veers is living on, or is he? Which means for now, yes, he lives. Uh, Schrodinger's Veers. We don't know exactly until we tell more stories and look in the Veers box. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of great stories, understandably, about how humans question uh, being in the machine of the uh, empire. And it's, it's great to just read a, a story from somebody who doesn't question it and is all in because mm -hmm. you get that perspective too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, next story is a naturalist on Hoth by Hank Green. Uh, this is the story of a, a biologist basically uh, who grew up on the planet uh, that, that uh, the corporation income on is on and makes all the, a bunch of the starships Everybody loves starships, uh, but this character who's telling the story in first person becomes a biologist and ends up going to Hoth. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one? It's okay. It was okay. Um, for, there, there's some great, um, I don't know, since I was a, as a kid, I, I've, I've often been one of the ones that's been like, all right, how, but how did the rebellion move into Echo Base? Did they, you know, buy it from a real estate agent? Like, <laughs> They, they, they built it. There, there's actually some logistics to that. Uh, we see some of those answers in other places. I know the uh, 
Marvel comic series was building up to getting to Hoth and all those kind of things. So I, I kind of am fascinated by that. And the fact that there'd be, you know, a naturalist or some other kind of non-classical military personnel going there to help settle the land. And, you know, how, you know, the Tauntauns are there. When did they, when did they figure out they could just put some saddles on them? You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, it, it makes sense for me. So the, a lot of those little details were fun. Um, I just, I don't know. I was, I was negatively affected by, um, got where the, the character Kel Tolkani was coming from, but, uh, the fact that he, he kind of chooses to stay behind on Hoth, um, was fine for the character. So I support the character's uh, choice there. <laughs> uh, and I got it, but it just was like, uh, everyone else is, I don't know. Everyone else is trying to get off the planet for hope and, he didn't feel the hope and that's fair. That's fair, I guess. But yeah, that didn't grab me as much as uh, maybe I would have wanted to. Yeah, I think that's maybe what it is, is this is a, it's a successful story of showing a different point of view. And I didn't, uh, I, I didn't, uh, I'm not sure that I enjoy, uh, or not enjoy, that I agree with Kel Tokani's point of view. Um, I, I love all the details. I really like growing up on a planet where everybody loves starships and mm-hmm. is, you know, wealthy parents make starships so they know how dangerous they are so they don't want them to be a pilot a lot of great uh details and mm. uh becoming a biologist and you know helping to follow uh, uh tauntaun and, and helping to find echo base through trying to understand this tauntaun uh is great and i think it then it, it kind of dives into a lot of the issues that naturally come up in empire strikes back the um and, and that have now become up in this book of being distraught by uh, Han's treatment of the Tauntaun and the Tauntaun's death, which, yeah, hey, great, great. That uh, connects this uh, great story about Mura that we mm-hmm. read. Um, it, and then I think it just, for me, it, 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 it absolutely Star Wars does celebrate every life matters and be connected to the environment. There's some great stuff with Yoda coming up with that. Um, but there, it, it dances right on the edge of kind of, even though there is that specific line of, uh, uh, obviously the rebels, uh, you know, mission was, was righteous, but it mm. felt like what the character was saying is I just want to stay on Hoth because I just want to be one with nature and all this violence destroys nature. Um, which I like that, but I, I think it, it just verges on a little bit of like both sides. Like the, if you're concerned about, uh, war destroying nature, I would think, tell that to Alderaan and <laughs> tell that to Jetta, you know, we're, we're getting this story of, yeah, the, the, the rebels absolutely threw a saddle on a tauntaun. They disrupted the natural wildlife of Hoth. It is war, and their footprint is felt, and it's, and it's not great. But what the Empire is doing is so much worse to the natural world. We know this from canon of Palpatine is destroying worlds, sucking every resource and life out of them and leave, leaving them in just, like, horrific uh, a climate crisis that planets are never going to recover from, you know? So I think maybe I just feel too strongly about the, like, for me, the story of star Wars is war is wrong, but also mm-hmm. the empire must be stopped that this story dances into some of those arguments in a way that, that doesn't entirely land for me. Yeah. 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 I've got some, yeah, I, I yeah, I, I got a har- harsher thing to say to the character, but <laughs> I'll say, <laughs> uh, but yeah, just like yeah, stand up and fight, man, and and and, and not saying you know if you're a pacifist, not not fight. I'm just like even it, 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 it was a bit of a cop out for this character. Again, we're you know we're talking about the character, but just like you know, um, I found out General Dodonna had been killed. I stayed on Hoth. He was supposed to be reassigned, which is a great use of the you know, the comic canon of Dodonna's end. 
I don't know. I, I don't. I don't mean that as a as a buck up soldier kind of attitude, but just like like you said, this is the Star Wars story. Uh, we, we, you know, we've seen like you said, we've seen what the Empire can done. I love that. Yeah, Alderaan Jedi. Yeah, um, there's great examples and more to come. Uh, or just the the impression oppression of of the Empire. You know, like uh, so. That's all. That's all. Hey. The character made a choice. He made a strong choice. He made a bold choice. <laughs> Wouldn't have been my choice. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's the great thing about seeing all these points of view. Like, I'm happy to see that point of view. Uh, it, it's just one that I that I struggle with. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. So, moving on. Uh, the Dragon Snake Saves R2 by Katie Cook. This is a quick uh, uh, cartoon, a comic, where exactly what the title says happened. How did you feel about this one? I really liked it. It is... Um it is uh, later in the, in the, in this same book, uh, countered. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not worried about that. It's, it's very, uh, turns to dragon snake and just, uh, to, it, it, he's just a sleeping friend who just wants to help a droid in need. I like that. Yeah. I, I really love this uh, inclusion. Katie Cook has been doing lots of other uh, great star Wars work. Uh, mm-hmm. and I think that it is great to include, uh, that style of star Wars storytelling in this as well. And uh, it was definitely, it fit the bill of a different point of view of like, well, from the surface, we all think this is what happened. Yeah. But if you look at it from a different perspective, maybe this is what's happened. So I thought it was, it was really successful in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So moving along then to the next story uh, for the last time by Beth Revis. Uh, this is where we get to go inside the mind of Fermis Piet. Uh, and, uh, Ken, I'm very anxious to hear what you think about this one. Uh, I totally love this one, man. Uh, yeah, I, I, um, Piet's just such an interesting character to me and interesting in the fact that, you know, uh, he just, he doesn't just go with the flow. He's there. He's there to do his job. He's, 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 uh, he's a competent leader stuck behind a boob. I, you know, who doesn't, uh, who doesn't, uh, you know, uh, connect with that, but, uh, to again, you great use of, uh, uh, Piet seeing uh, Vader's head actually there. Um, uh, I like that. Uh, and the idea there's some of the reveals of, of uh, his view of Vader. Uh, yeah, it just worked. Beth Rivers is such a good writer, man. She's so good. Uh, just, it just, uh, had a, a, I was satisfied as a Piet fan. I was satisfied. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the great, uh, the rebel rising, uh, is mm-hmm. one of our favorite star Wars, uh, books, the Jen Erso's tale. Uh, so I was extremely happy to see this author. I've always liked Piet. I think I just, he, that character emotes so well, like even as a kid, when I could not put it into words, you could see that like he is a rank and file officer, but he's got ambition and he's just trying to figure out how to stay alive. I just feel like that's, in the film, in the little choices made by the actor, by the director, by the editor. Uh, so I, I felt like this was exactly what I expected to see out of Fermis Piet. I loved this one. I, I thought, especially after reading, you know, a lot of the stories and they vary in length, the, the power to just get in and, and do a simple pick one idea and then just go for it mm-hmm. and then get out uh, was great. I liked that the idea was, uh, that you get the canon that he that Piet you know kind of studied under Tarkin kind of learned from him and building on stuff that we got from the Tarkin novel uh, but works even if you haven't read it that I, this central idea that power is given or taken through fear uh, and that Piet values fear because he thinks it keeps you alive uh, 
I love that he arranged Ozzel's failure, like setting a trap mm-hmm. for a dumb animal. Yep. <laughs> and, he, and he fell for it. You know, it, it was not overly elaborate with the way he moved the chess pieces. It felt exactly right. Uh, and, but just really drilling down on this fear idea of Piet wants to be afraid of Vader. And then that brief glimpse of the, the damaged, shattered human behind the mask takes the fear away for a moment. And then Piet is afraid of like, if I pity him, if I'm not afraid of him, I will slip up and he will get me. That was such a great, uh, you know, when Star Wars has so much to say about fear, that was such a great different way to look at it of like, I need to be afraid of Vader to keep him alive. But now I know he's just a pathetic man in a suit. Uh, I love the way it ended on like that. Will Piet manage to keep himself afraid enough of Vader to stay alive? Yeah, like it, it, it's real. Um, it, 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 it's, it's such a that's a that's a dark sentiment, right? It's such a yeah. It, Piet locked in that fear circle there, but just beautiful words to describe it uh, of just uh, he put that corpse beside Ozzel's in the graveyard of his memory. Lord Vader was only the mask. Piet would never again allow himself to think of Lord Vader as anything but the black fist. Just great stuff. And the relationship between Piet and Ozzel, you know, uh, you can, you can see it. It's on screen, right? Um, but just uh, Admiral Ozzel had walked across the bridge of the executor as if it were his right. Uh, and that uh, Piet, um, everything Piet had, he had taken where Ozzel had uh, positions, power and prestige uh, kind of um, handed to him. I really love just kind of the inner workings, and and you like I said in a short amount of time, uh, uh, she really just uh, hit a home run with that. Yeah, yeah, and I think Piet is a character to me that's always come across as a true believer. So I was happy that this was a a true believer story, and how how does he make himself a true believer? Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on then to Rendezvous Point by Jason Fry. Jason Fry, of course, uh, wrote the Last Jedi novelization and lots of different Star Wars stuff through the ages. Uh, this was the story of Wedge having a basically a uh, a Red Squadron, not Rogue Squadron, a Red Squadron adventure uh, while waiting for Luke and Leia to regroup with the rest of the Alliance. Ken, what did you think of this one? So I, I really did like it. Uh, Jason Fry, I'm a fan of his his uh, writing, um, and uh, not a fan of his New York Mets. More Yankee fan myself. Sorry, Jason. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I really liked it. It it it, it comes. It's the longest one so far, and I only say that is it. I have to be honest. Like I hit it, and it the the story kept going right, and I occasionally do that thing where you like you skip a few pages ahead. You're like, how much longer do I have to read? Oh, I have like thirty more pages here, and so that started to take me out of it. And I had to force myself to get back in and focus. Uh, you just talk about Beth Beth Revis just comes in and out, and this book is sold as just a collection of stories. I felt this was a standalone comic book adventure that I would like to see the formation of red squad, red squadron, excuse me, which is a, you know, this bit of this promotion, which is something I love about wedge. I love wedge as a character. I, I, I I've written about before. I am moved by the fact that he's the one that gets to say lock S foils and attack position, return the Jedi. Like that's cool. That's cool stuff. Our guy got promoted. And this is kind of that story forming that you got Grizz. I love Grizz in there. Uh, naming all the, um, all the red squadron members. So it worked for me on that, uh, on that overall. I just, in my reading, uh, felt like, Oh gosh, I, I wish this had its own. It was its own thing. If that makes sense. Um, love what it did. Love the Contessa from last, uh, lost stars uh, being brought in here. A lot of cool things. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think I'm in agreement with you. Of a lot of these stories do have a beginning, a middle, and an end, but they're a little bit more of a snapshot. And this was a little bit more of like a full short story. So mm-hmm. I actually set this one aside to read in the morning when I was fresh, so I could be like, "All right." <laughs> well, that's smart. I should have done that. <laughs> uh, but th- these books, we can pull them off the shelf and revisit just the one story whenever we want. Uh, yeah, I like this because I I think you know Wedge is going back in the day. If you grew up with the original trilogy, he was one of those little trivia things. Like, do you know the name of the you know, the one pilot who survived? And like, you know, now <laughs> everybody knows and you have a relationship with him, you know, through you know, the the old uh, Legends books and lots of different things. You know, uh, it's, there's, there's a lot that is built up around Wedge. I did a, uh, a sketch way back in the day before Phantom Menace came out um, uh, where it was basically like Wedge being pissed that everything was always about Luke. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, this this is a, the sketch where I mispronounced uh, Coruscant as Coruscant because I hadn't actually uh, heard it spoken. Uh, right. And then my friend was like, I've actually talked to Timothy Zahn and it is Coruscant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my friend and I joke about that all the time. Good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so anyway, it, it was kind of fun to see like, how much is this one going to go into Wedge's feelings? And I really liked uh, learning uh, that he his kind of relationship to being one of the leaders, but not quite one of the well-known leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it does dive into that a little bit. I, I like that we learned that he feels guilty about having left Luke uh, on the Death Star. Oh, great. That yeah. he, he wants to step up and be the leader of the squadron, uh, but he knows the, you know, the responsibility of that as well. Uh, so I like all those details. I like getting the comp- confirmation that Hobby flew into Veers. So we've got we see it from two different perspectives. And then this story, we get it like, yes, that is the fate of, uh, of hobby. One snow speeder against an ad at mm-hmm. it worked. Um, so there's a lot in this story that I, I really loved. And I think ultimately no shock to anybody who would listen uh, to four center, a bunch of great details. I liked, but I think that what really came out of this one for me is getting to hear how wedge thought about being in war and being a warrior. And that through line where the, this young untrained pilot that they needed, uh, Katsila, uh, didn't feel comfortable killing. And Wedge was sort of like, I understand it's really hard. I, you know, I think about, I do it. So eventually other people won't have to, it's not great. Nobody wants to do it. And then just great, uh, you know, nice to me, like meat and potatoes, really good storytelling of Wedge is going to die unless Katsila can, can kill to save him. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. That's that's some just really great like there's a ton of fun like this is what it is to be a pilot with with Jansen being a joker and, you know, mm-hmm. passing back and forth the Tauntaun Musk stuff. So mm-hmm. it's got all this just like you can tell like Jason Fry is just like, I love pilots. Let's celebrate pilots. Let's celebrate their culture. But it's also got this kind of meaty idea to it. Oh, absolutely. And, and it works on definitely works on that level. Uh, like I said, this is why. Pulling it out. Like, you know, if we were to get a, a modern wedge series, you know, a rogue squadron for a new era, a red squadron for a new era, it could work. And I love it. Like him popping back up in, um, in, in aftermath kind of is in line with some of that aligned with him and Nora kind of being done. Right. And then when they yeah. kind of eventually pulled back in and was it resistance reborn? Like it, it all there, that, that, that emotional cannon uh, train is, is, uh, is all in line here. Yeah. And I also did like that the the big picture plot is that, you know, pirates were attacking the alliance at the rendezvous point and they needed to take the pirates out or leave. And that Wedge really had this motivation of, 
it is worth it to wait for Luke and Leia. I trust them. They'll be back. That, that was just some good old, I, I could hear the main Star Wars theme, you know, mm-hmm. when Wedge is fighting for Luke and Leia. Yeah, well, and a good use of pirates, pirates showing up. Yeah, exactly. All right, moving on. Next story is The Final Order uh, by Seth Dickinson. Uh, this is uh, the story of, uh, this is a this is kind of a shocking one, right? Because this is the story of the joke, right? This is the story of the Imperial whose uh, hollow uh, message goes out because just got smashed by an asteroid. Uh, and that could have easily been one of the jokiest uh, stories in this whole book. And it's super not. It is a super, to me, deep meditation on what it means to serve the Empire. Ken, what did you think of this one? Right with you. Uh, Captain Cannon House is his name. And you're thinking, oh, all right, we're going inside the house of Cannon. I get it. I get it because I remember hearing we are going to get this story, right? So I was like, all right, this will be fun. No, man, it, it it's fun in a whole other way. It, it This is one that's worth a re re, re- Reread because of um, just the uh, perspective on on someone in the empire, someone so high up in the empire, learning really what it was, and that's something we get in a lot of modern storytelling, right? On varying varying degrees, from Bodhi Rook just doing his job, trying to make it better, to defectors and everything there, uh, and just uh, it, it uh, there's some great. Um, I'm trying to pull some of the quotes here, but uh, no need really to do that. But just. Uh, just some great perspective uh, lessons in in, in his uh, personal uh, revelations. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you. I absolutely love this one. I was pleasantly shocked by it uh, because it it took that idea of Imperials dealing with the Empire and how they feel about being inside it and pulled together a lot of different parts of the storytelling. There's been a lot of storytelling in books in particular about how just full of uh, forms and details the empire is, how many rules you have to follow. And there's been lots of stories about, you know, uh, people wanting to rise in the ranks and kind of trying to find some little pedantic way to stab somebody in the back. And that every conversation is kind of a chess move of, are they trying to impress me so that I will promote them? Or are they trying to stab me in the back so they can take my job and like kind of living in that constant horror uh, that all that stuff was there. And then really presented through uh, Captain Cannon House, who was old enough that he served uh, in the Republic and then everything changed to the Empire. And he goes on these uh, this imagined speech uh, to uh, Commander Tien, who is the the young one who is maybe angling for his job or his support, one or the other. Um, And he says to me, just like what I think is the true story of the Empire from from my perspective. And it's it's really powerful and refreshing that the empire is just this structure of pedantic rules built up to justify and accelerate the whims of Vader and Palpatine. Uh, And that even in that fake speech, he says, you know, be careful of being a fan of the trappings uh, to Mm -hmm. Commander Tien. Uh, Oh, you memorized all the Stormtrooper legions. You you debate, you know, tactics on the hollow net, you know. That's mm-hmm. not what the Empire is. A couple of the, the, the quotes. Uh, mm. If there is a cruelty the Emperor wishes to commit, a reason will appear for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, goes back to that idea of propaganda of like, well, I just wanted to do that and we'll, we'll find a reason for it. Uh, and then the, the other one really hit me. The Empire does all things that people secretly believe should be done with power. Mm-hmm. 
that is just an, a mm-hmm. great under-discussed part of the empire. We've got a lot of great stories of, of people who have successfully had the wool pulled over their eyes and they see it as a, a government that's trying to maintain control against you know, insurrection. Uh, but we haven't discussed this much where individual people, everyday people basically fall to the dark side. They basically look up at Vader and Palpatine and say, this is a fantasy of no one can tell me what to do. And, and I, I think that's, it, it's this, that, that very negative view of the world that everybody is in it for themselves. Everybody is fighting for power Anybody who claims they're not is lying, and the true goal of life is to get as much power for yourself, and that's what the Empire is about. And just this truth that we can all fall to that dark side. Yeah, so Force Center well said to you. Uh, you're pulling some quotes from this section that I, I, I'm going to go this far and say it's, it's one of the um, most important stretches of Star Wars to- storytelling in the modern era. Uh, because it starts with uh, him grabbing his XO by the shoulder, and I'm not going to read all of it here, but just saying, listen to me, there's no protest against Vader. Vader can do anything he wants, and it goes on, and stuff that you said, great lines, the real purpose of the Empire is to give people like Vader the power to do everything they want, stuff that then it flows into some of the things you brought up. Uh, there's no restraint or principle at the center of the new order, meaning the Empire, and that is why people admire it, to, to the quote you brought in there about this is kind of what people secretly think. Yeah, I had power, I do that. I really believe it because we, we, when I say in this modern era, we've had fun playing with, hey, not everyone on the Death Star pressed the, the fire on Alderaan button, right? And that somehow, can, has, I've seen that be spun over, and this is someone, again, I joke, but I have empi- Imperial gear and I love the figures and all of the toys. And uh, it's, it, you know what I mean? It's dangerous to, to stop at that if you're looking at the Star Wars story. You once said to me, I, you know, I joked, ah, there's no wrong way to, to watch Star Wars. And you said, well, and if you're rooting for the Emperor, <laughs> um, this is this flows into that. I really do believe this. This it's on page of the book, page 189 and 190. This is it's so deep and food for thought. If you hear someone say, well, you know, and, and Lucas heroes, heroes on both sides. We know that that is he ta- he expands on that in, in the Clone Wars storytelling even more and all. But it always points back to the dark side is the dark side. The Empire, uh, beyond this, and to me, correct me if I'm wrong, Joseph. This isn't just saying, "Hey, we got a good, we got a good organization," but a Sith is running it. This is saying the organization is fueling that Sith, and that's the problem. Yeah, yeah, the, the, in, in a general sense, you know. Yeah, yeah, and he, he goes on to that longer speech. There were just too many great quotes for me to pull, but just that mm-hmm. idea of like, uh, what's going to happen if we do actually crush the re- the re- rebels? Because the rebels are, are kind of the justification that that young people like Commander Tian uh, cling to and that goes on this great speech about how the Empire will just kind of keep uh, uh, revising itself and putting out new rules and new justifications and that eventually everything that has meaning will strip away, meaning would disappear and nothing but, you know, power uh, would remain like an empty suit of armor with no human inside. Like, that's the Sith. That's the dark side. And, mm-hmm. and the empire is an extension of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a great one. This is one that I'm, uh, you're going to need to pull off the shelf and read again from time to time and factor it into the Star Wars storytelling. And, and, and when I see that moment in empire, uh, I will never uh, not think of this one. Oh yeah. Yeah. No. And, and the last thing I'll say about this one is I love that there's this little through line where, 
the tension is kind of created by what's tickling his nose? Is he sick? What's that about? And he needs to sneeze. Uh, and in a story that, you know, sets up clearly for fans who know what's coming that, yeah, no, he's going to get hit by that asteroid. It could end on the asteroid, right? It could end with his thoughts as he's his split second thoughts as he sees the asteroid coming. Right. Um, I love that it ends with, he can't stop himself from sneezing because it really drives home the light side in the dark. It really drives home that the empire demands you to be this, uh, you know, stand up straight. Don't break any of the rules. Always be paranoid about who's behind you. Always be in control. And then just something as human and as organic and as undeniable as a sneeze as a through line to give it tension. It's, it's like a sneeze as this, the sne- a sneeze as the light side of like the organic and the human can't be denied even on the bridge of that horror show. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, cheers to uh, Seth Dickinson and not super familiar with his work prior to this, but this was a, this was a great one. Yeah, no, I'm gonna, gonna need to look up some of his other work. All right. Uh, spent a little bit of time on that one cause we liked it. We're going to move on to Amara Kell's rules for Thai pilot survival, probably by Django Wexler. Uh, this is a story that was just like kind of near events about uh, uh, TIE fighters uh, trying to uh, patrol the edge of the asteroid field and make sure that no rebels were escaping. Ken, what did you think of this one? I I, I like this one. I think um, it was weird because uh, it, it, it was... Uh First of all, it reminds me of like a, a level of, uh, on Squadrons, which is the credit to it. Uh, a lot of great stuff. A little bit of Star Wars Imperial rum come all the way through this here, uh, that which which leads to its own kind of uh, potential tragedy uh, with what you think is going to happen to these characters. But coming out of uh, the, the Final Order uh, piece, uh, I found myself not rooting for them as much or, or rooting <laughs> for them to get out. So that's uh, that has nothing to do with uh, Django Wexler's uh, story here. It's actually really funny. It's different. It's a bit of a change of pace, and it has some insights into what it is to to be, you know, serving in, in the empire. Uh, absolutely, uh, it does it does that. Um, so yeah, so there you go. I, I did like it. Uh, just uh, I think I was still emotionally coming down from the previous one, if I'm being honest. Yeah, no, totally understand. And this is great because we found one where we slightly disagree. Uh, you you just liked it. I love this one. I thought this one was so great, and, and I feared. I feared it because I was just like, I was just so into uh, the final order. That one took me by surprise. I loved it uh, so mm-hmm. much. Uh, and then this one starts and it's also a little bit longer and it's the character that, you know, we don't know necessarily. And I just thought it was so well written that Amara Kell was uh, funny and charming and made me, uh, you know, the the writing by Deshengo Wexler made me care about Amara Kell immediately. And I think this sits in my sweet spot of I like things that are, funny but still it's like the comedy that you need because you need to laugh at the horror show right <laughs> and 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 that seemed to be where amara kell is coming from of like it, you know it's structured as this list of rules to stay alive mm-hmm. uh and it's funny and it's painful at the same time and i i like her, the the rule about you know don't run into things because that was like a funny way to, sh- to show a truth of uh, to p- play with that truth of the uh, the TIE fighters have no protection because we're told in training, just fly right at things because you're replaceable. And that's a great tactic from a big picture perspective, mm-hmm. not great on an individual perspective. And I think it found it like a really funny and interesting way into that. that. Um, 
And then I, I just like the simple good storytelling that this was clearly a jaded person for good reason. Uh, the first rule is don't get attached is, is rule number one. Uh, but it is her attachment to this other pilot, her romance, uh, Amara Kell or, or Shadow, her call sign, her, her romance with the other pilot, Howell, is what saves her. And that by the end, their two ties are literally tied together in this picture of a, a attachment, which is, you know, it, it, I didn't expect a story that has kind of a cheeky title uh, about uh, how to survive being a tie pilot to tie back to the big Star Wars themes of attachment. And I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, no, the, yeah, um, gosh, you make me feel bad. I'm going to read it again. <laughs> um, no, I, great stuff. I, there's the little things, the details that we've always grown up with now of, you know, the, the Rebels had some shields, uh, but we're outnumbered. And, and uh, I love the use of they fly. So they fly ships with little amenities like shields and armor <laughs> and hyperdrives and repair astromix. Uh, that that kind of stuff um, popped for me and worked worked really well. And again, it's a Star Wars love story. I, I'm all for that. Uh, uh, again, it might have been the placement for me. And and uh, just the great thing about it, I can revisit these at any time and not feel I have to completely dive back into a novel. So uh, I'll earmark this for that, so I can hopefully reach your enthusiasm for it. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, yeah. And I totally understand because there are some for me that I like, I have to revisit, uh, because when I'm reading them, I'm just like, I still want to be in that other story. Um, all right. So moving on, just got a couple left. Uh, the first lesson by Jim Zub. This is the Yoda, uh, at least the first Yoda, uh, story. I have not flipped ahead entirely, uh, to see if there is indeed more Yoda, but this is the Yoda just as Luke arrives on Dagobah. What did you think of this one, Ken? Well, so going back to the previous one, I had, you know, flipped ahead by this point and I'm like, what's coming up? You know, like not, not during, not during uh, the Amara Kell one, but just kind of, all right, today I'm going to finish up with these ones. And I knew this was coming too. I think I was looking forward. That's this poor, the poor uh, Amara Kell's rules for the Tide Pod survival was sandwiched between two great ones. And that, that, that I allowed that to affect my view. And I, I'm going to quit apologizing for my feelings. <laughs> um, no, nah, so this, this one got me, this is great. Uh, the, the the Yoda one you mentioned it the Yoda one and from a certain point of view a New Hope edition is uh, just uh, just wonderful the the revelations his thoughts on Leia his thoughts on Luke and so it paints this picture of of Yoda not fully on board with training Luke and and him and uh, Force Ghost Obi Wan or Fresh Force Ghost Obi Wan having kind of some d- debate over it which certainly continues in the Empire um, but to have it all tie into the first lesson. Uh, and, and and the big one that we often talk about of do or do not, there is no try. So it just made great use of that. Uh, and it kind of kind of moved me in the way that Yoda is like, look, I, I either got to commit to this or I don't uh, for the sake of him, me, the galaxy, my whole purpose, whatever, whatever you want to say uh, and ask big questions. But it all starts with uh, this belief in Yoda the, that he would not try. There is no try. I'm going to train Luke. Yeah. Yeah, I really like this one uh, as well. I thought it had great, uh, it mentions the wanting to train Leia, so it, it mm-hmm. connects to the Yoda story from the uh, New Hope version of this book. Uh, I love that it starts with Yoda meditating, and I mentioned this episode, uh, or this story earlier in our episode, that I love that Yoda is meditating and feeling all of Dagobah's environment just in sync with itself. 
Uh, and that, then Luke comes just kind of plodding in and like, what's going on? Splash, splash, splash yeah, yeah. <laughs> and disrupts it all. It, you know, it, it, it uh, connects really well to Luke on Octo and, in you know, showing Ray the forest by her just feeling the natural environment kind of in sync. Uh, like that, uh, idea of Yoda being this, you know, single being who is also connected to the infinite, a lot of great, just force stuff, meditation stuff. Uh, and then it, Luke going, hey, what's going on, guys? Mm-hmm, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I love that it sets up his disturbing everything that way. I love Yoda recognizing R2 and yep. saying, uh, Yoda is used to such cycles of fate after 900 years. Yeah. Uh, I think instead of uh, saying the George Lucas quote, it's uh, poetry, it rhymes. I'm going to start saying the Yoda quote of, uh, you know, after many decades of being a Star Wars fan, I'm used to such cycles of fate. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then I think the the moment where the story comes home for me is that, you know, Yoda has this, he says, most amusing this first lesson shall be, decides to really test Luke by showing him not what he expects and see how he reacts. Mm-hmm. And the dime dropping for Yoda that Luke doesn't immediately have Anakin's flaws or Padme's strengths mm-hmm. and realizes that he's capable of having both either. I thought that was... I don't think Padme gets, you know, remembered as a, a part of this lineage strongly enough. And I love that. Oh, yeah. No, and, and it follows up with just the an amazing line. Luke Skywalker's form had yet to be set in one mold or another. His glory or downfall were yet to be defined. Uh, destiny, choices, all those things we talk about each week here on Force Center. Uh, so coming out of that, uh, you know, Yoda knowing, knowing his parents, it makes sense uh, to see the different directions he could go. Yeah, I think my only little gripe with this one is because I was really enjoying it. I almost wanted it to go farther. I almost wanted it to go to the moment in the hut where he truly does decide to train Luke. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the the recognizing R two is so great. I, I would have loved to stayed in Yoda's head for the lamp fight. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I because w- I thought when they get to that part, I thought we were gonna have uh, a moment where R two was like, "Yo, Yoda, what's up, man?" <laughs> I, I did really think that he was going to beep uh, his recognition of like, where have you, you've been up. I came here with you. And of course this is, ah. Yeah. 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 Uh, and you know what? Uh, I have not looked ahead. Maybe we get the uh, R2 true. yells at Yoda story. I don't, I don't know yet. Uh, I'm sure many people listening have finished the whole book and, and they know, but I'm in a place of mystery and I can't wait uh, to discover more. Uh, moving on to our penultimate story that we're discussing this week. Disturbance by Mike Chen. This is a big one. This is the moment where Palpatine senses the disturbance in the Force that he later discusses with Vader in The Empire Strikes Back. Ken, what did you think? This one really worked for me. I I, I, I liked it. I, I felt we didn't um, get enough Emperor in uh, The New Hope one to, to, to uh, my uh, hotty-totty liking. Uh, this one comes in and just that great line. There's There's been a, a, a great disturbance in the force. Like I've lived with that one for 40 years almost, right? I mean, uh, and, and to actually not, not get the answer, like, oh, here's what he felt, but just to, this kind of Palpatine's own spiritual journey through his own visions and prophecies and fears and doubts and revelations like, oh, well, of course, Vader. It's the rule of two. A real a lot, a lot of great uh, Sith lore, rule of two stuff here. But just kind of 
you know, oh, look at that. He's almost proud of, of uh, Vader uh, and, and his plan. But just the answer of, of um, you know, you know, uh, um, the line here, why was Lord Vader so focused on protecting him? This boy, what was the connection and how we've always thought like, you know, the, the emperor can't see that. He can't feel that. So, of course, he'd be at one point blindsided about it. He tried to flip it into an advantage for sure. That's what Palpatine does so well. So anyways, I got a lot of what I wanted out of the story. Yeah, I love this one. You know, I'm a big Palpatine fan, so there's sometimes a little bit of anxiety of like, oh, they're going to dive into a character I really like. I really hope I enjoy the take. If not, you know, so be it and let go. But uh, this was so great. Uh, I loved that. We just had this story with Yoda seeing this sort of natural cycle of life in the ecosystem as the the natural way of everything kind of being in amount some amount of balance on Dagobah. And I love that Palpatine is meditating. He just sees the Force's constant violence mm-hmm. of just everything attacking everything for dominance. And he reaches in and he forces uh, the Force to do what he wants it to do. Such a great contrast there to just uh, start there. I always love it anytime that we're seeing Palpatine in you know the old uh, Jedi Temple that he has made the Imperial Palace. The reminder that there's the uh, secret uh, Sith. Uh, tomb cave, uh, not tomb, but a, a ancient Sith space that the Jedi Temple was, you know, built on top of to attempt to bury, possibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that stuff is great. But then, you know, what is the disturbance? You know, I, I love getting the confirmation that, of course, Palpatine sensed a disturbance when Luke destroyed the Death Star. But that was kind of it. Of like, yeah, something, something's going on. Yeah. That, that pilot was using the Force. Eh. Uh, but this is the big one. That and when what is it? The answer is that it is basically Vader getting so excited about closing in on his son that it allows Palpatine to see Vader's vision. Is that's a cool revelation? Uh, and then the actual vision is just for me, it is so in line with what Vader would be envisioning because we, we've talked mm-hmm. about this question on Force Center of. You know, is there any part of Vader that's already breaking in Empire Strikes Back where he he really means he he wants to, you know, uh, get his son to come home with him? And like, no, he means what he says. He he just he he feels a connection and a draw to Luke, but he doesn't feel that compassion yet. He wants to use Luke uh, as a tool to heal his own wounds and to overthrow the emperor and to see that his vision I mean, this is, I, 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 you know, people uh, can obsess on the dark side stuff. And and this is one of those moments where the dark side stuff is so perfectly aligned with storytelling that I, I can enjoy it on both the kind of thematic level and also just the that's cool level. That, mm-hmm. that Vader's fantasy is that Luke would be so powerful in the dark side that he would force choke uh, Palpatine to the point where he couldn't do anything and he would wield a red blade and, and Vader would get to say, do it. And Luke would ignite the blade and send it into Palpatine. And then the great twist that Vader has not turned back to the good side of the force. He's still got a glowing red blade, but his body is back. Padme is back. They're a proud family with an endless (laughs) sky of star destroyers. And their son has returned to him. But the son is just a tool, an extension of uh, Vader's anger. It's just this great portrait of confused selfishness of Vader just wants everything he ever wanted. He wants the happy life with his wife and his kid, but he doesn't want to let go of the anger and the power and just the 
the horror of seeing that and how much sense it makes from his perspective that this is not the moment where the light side returns, where Anakin Skywalker returns. Mm-hmm. He's still Vader, and this is his fantasy. Like, I have my body back, I have my wife back, and I got my son to do evil things with me. <laughs> it's a Sunday family picnic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, to, to, to do, especially paired with the Yoda one before, where Yoda has the great stuff like, man, there's I haven't felt this feeling, and oh, it's a Skywalker. That's what I'm feeling. And then you got Palpatine going like, oh, man, I haven't, I haven't felt this thing in deck. What am I feeling? Oh, it's Anakin Skywalker. That Skywalker name causing such problems and such creating such hope in Star Wars. It's it's a real great use of it here. Mike Chen did a great job. That that, that, that this idea that kind of Anakin is the disturbance, if you will, uh, a fire that Palpatine would put to the test. Uh, it it it's at a depth to what we already have uh, had a lot of fun playing with in the modern canon, especially the comics that go into this. Cold war between employer and employee here. <laughs> it, it's on display a lot. And this, I'm just like you too. Like, here we go. It's Palpatine. It's a big moment. You know, what are we going to get? What are we going to get? Can it not only live up to my expectations, but what can you add to what I feel we've already gotten a lot of? Charles Soul stuff. Great. There's so much great Vader content out there. And I hope we, I hope we get more. This is why I'm not done hearing more about the story. Uh, uh, the rise, fall, and redemption of Anakin Skywalker, and and our—I uh, was going to say our guy Palpatine, but you know we, we love we love him and don't want to root for him. Yeah, and this and this this worked, man. It, it worked on that level of of uh, uh, taking their relationship and just uh, adding even more fire to it. Yeah, I think that's it for me. Is like this is a story that really uh, makes it doesn't change anything we know. It doesn't like throw some weird wrinkle in. It just mm-hmm. makes everything that we know richer. And I'll enjoy watching Empire Strikes Back and seeing Vader in his meditation chamber and imagining that he's imagining this. And Palpatine's <laughs> like, "What? The, that's what you're? You know, that's so powerful." Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the way it ends too. That Palpatine allows himself the uh, the emotion of you know basically glee because he knows he's gonna manipulate Vader. And, mm-hmm. and to me, it, it heads into that, that you know, rewritten for the, the specialist edition uh, of, of Empire Strikes Back conversation that, yeah, they're playing this dance of, uh, I know you're looking for your son. I know you're uh, doing the rule of two thing. And then Vader being like, yeah, I know you're, you know, mm-hmm. uh, expecting me to betray you, but you think you got one up on me. And they're, they're doing this like evil chess game. And, and I feel like it's set up so well. Yeah, great stuff. One of my favorites so far. Absolutely. And we are on to our last story. This is No Cave by Catherine M. Valenti. Uh, this is this perspective. We're coming back to the animals, the perspective of the exogorth. Uh, it, it is a it, very interesting perspective. We learn the exogorth is a, uh, is, appears to be a ancient force-connected uh, infinite uh, worm thing guy. Uh, what was your take on There is No Cave? Uh, I, I, there's a lot of things in this. I love, uh, the hum, uh, kind of another version of the force, uh, a little bit of a connection or a revelation of what Leia's connection wa- to the force was or to the hum was. Uh, so, uh, inter- inter- introducing that into the star Wars story worked for me uh, overall. Uh, yeah, I, I, I haven't thought this much about the exogorth and maybe that's on me. Uh, but this, <laughs> uh, this is beautiful again, but similar to, this is very similar to the Dianoga one for me. Where you read it and you go, that that was a great story. That was a, that is that is something uh, I never would have thought of. Um, and and there the, it exists, and, and you can have it from that Star Wars buffet if you want. Like example, you keep saying. So that's kind of that's kind of my thought on it there. 
Yeah, I think so for me. This is like, I, I thought this was incredibly well written. I thought it was incredibly intriguing. I love the turn of phrase of that the uh, exogirth is an ancient infant. I like the idea that the, the exogirth are, you know, see things entirely different because time moves differently uh, from them. And the, the kind of sadness that uh, this one, uh, Sayo, is a younger exogorth and, and comes to the clue, the gathering of exogorths that, that is the asteroid field because there's they're all different ones living in there. And the clue thinking that it will find a love and, and a, a mate. Uh, but uh, and there's that idea that everything that they eat is kind of choosing to bond with something and almost kind of keep a strange zoo with inside themselves. And he, yeah. he refers to the Minox as butterflies and is excited to tell other exogorths about it. And <laughs> they mock him of like, those things are gross. Why, that, why was that what you ate? Yeah. Uh, all really moving, interesting stuff. Uh, and I think, and yeah, yeah, sensing Leia once he swallows the Falcon as being, you know, so connected and powerful to the Force, and uh, every every detail I enjoyed. And I think I when I stopped reading it, I was also just like, I think for my own head canon, I like that it's a giant worm that's hungry and ate a ship. Like, and I don't like dislike anything in the story. It is just a Star Wars buffet thing of like. Uh, couldn't imagine a better story of the Exogorth as a infinite force connected strange being with a, a very different perspective. But I think for me, li- like you're saying with the Dianoga, I, I'm just sometimes okay with a worm being a giant space worm. Being a worm, being a worm. Yeah, but I do. Uh, I'll I'll uh, I'll be referring to the force as the hum going forward. So. Oh yeah, I mean this is this is perfect for you, you know, old radio <laughs> DJ. Of course, the forces is the hum, right? Uh, yeah, you probably DJed on a radio station called the hum at some point. Right? <laughs> the hum, one hundred seven point five. <laughs> the hum, one hundred seven point five. Tune in to hear Sio's very sad song. <laughs> <laughs> but very, very well done uh, all across the board. Uh, that is our long episode looking at the first 20 stories. We're going to have another probably long episode looking at these second 20 stories. Uh, Ken, any uh, closing thoughts, any stories you're looking forward to in the second half? Uh, look, there is a, uh, there's definitely um, Ray Sloan. Uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, we got an interesting one called Virgins that seems to be dealing with, uh, just looking at the picture, we got Anakin inside Vader's helmet or Luke inside his helmet. Oh, look at that. That's going to be good. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. And then Faith in an Old Friend, Brittany L. Williams, which is uh, got L, uh, L3 kind of returning to fold. A lot of Cloud City stuff. I'll be looking forward to that. Yeah, uh, yeah, those are all great. Looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to getting into the Bounty Hunters because there's so much Bounty Hunter hun, uh, fun to be had. Also, Bounty Hunter Hun, uh, you know, I guess if you uh, like to call Bounty Hunters Hun. Bosk, yeah. Hun. <laughs> do you have some dioxys uh yeah so excited for all that stuff but for now that's our look at the first half of this book and we're excited to dig into the second half ken do you want to tell people where they can find us i would oh and one other story Kevin scott is going to tackle jackson oh, oh yeah he loves that character i'm open I'm, my mind is going to be open i'm going to see if this works for me uh but hey uh do you want to join us next week uh you want to follow us and find us you can do so on twitter at force center pod like our facebook page at force center podcast we are on instagram youtube as well podcasts available in a lot of spots including anchor and now amazon music merch available at tpublic.com slash user slash force center and then uh, you can support us directly at patreon.com slash force center 
You can go follow me at Cadnapsock or go to Cadnapsock.com for more information on all the things I do, including uh, be a disc jockey in Pennsylvania on uh, 107.5 and 1620 AM. Hey, <laughs> check it out, Newcastle. All right. That is great. Great. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can check out my website, josephscrimshaw.com, for all my other comedy adventures. But for now, for myself, for Ken, for The Hum, this has been Four Center. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.